Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the USMLE Preparation Company's Talking USMLE Podcast. My name is Dr. Paul, and in today's solo episode, I'm going to talk to you about the seven mistakes that you need to avoid in order to put forth a strong Step 2 CS patient note. So let's not waste any more time and let's dive in and talk about what you need to do to crush your patient note. guys so when it comes to the step 2 cs exam as you know the patient note is of crucial importance it is the last thing that you need to do in your encounter and if you don't do it well it can destroy your entire encounter meaning if you do great inside the room you do well on your cis your sep and your ice but you put out a a, a weak patient note it's going to bring your score down significantly and could be a cause of failure so i'm saying this if you don't put forth a good patient note, it could cause you to fail your entire encounter. And that means your encounter is failed. And if you do that several times, you can fail your exam. So the patient note is in fact responsible for a lot of failures, which is why we see ICE failures increasing year after year after year, because students simply aren't realizing and understanding just how important the patient note is. So what I'm gonna do is walk you through the seven mistakes that I'm seeing students make consistently over the last three to five years. And I'm gonna sort of give you a little breakdown of what each each point refers to and how you can overcome these issues, okay? So mistake number one, and you've probably heard me say this a lot, is poor spelling, grammar, and punctuation. Now I want you to imagine you open up a news article and you see spelling errors and you see poor spacing and grammatically it just doesn't sound right when you're reading it it just doesn't make sense these are issues that students are actually allowing in their patient notes and it's not acceptable you your grammar has to be good meaning when you write a sentence it needs to make sense your spelling has to be good now don't get me wrong one or two little slip-ups here or there in your note aren't going to make a big difference the problem arises when there's spelling mistakes in every single sentence Guys, it's just not acceptable as a physician or someone who wants to be a physician that you're putting out a patient note riddled with spelling errors. You need to be able to spell properly. So, so, so don't, don't think that you can have strong diagnoses and good support, but it can be riddled with spelling mistakes. It simply is not acceptable. And then punctuation. When I say punctuation, I mean students simply aren't punctuating properly, meaning they are not using commas or periods or colons or semicolons the right way. You need to know how to use your punctuation. Also, you need to know how to space after punctuation, meaning if you have a comma or a period, there needs to be a space after each comma or period, right? You don't want to just have a, sp a comma or a period and not leave any space in between the next sentence. That's incorrect and that will lower your score, okay? So mistake number two is sloppy and inconsistent structure. What I mean by sloppy is if it simply doesn't look appealing to the eye, you wanna make sure that your note looks good when the uh, physician first looks at it or whoever's grading it. Now, students oftentimes can't make a decision between whether I do bullet form or paragraph form. And ultimately it doesn't matter, you're allowed to do both. The issue here is when students will do two or three lines of bullets and then a paragraph, meaning you're mixing bullet and paragraph. 
That's not what you want to do. What you want to do is choose the one that works best for you and stick with it. Now, another issue I see a lot of is some students want to use uppercase letters, which obviously it's not the best approach, but it is allowed and you can do it. But what you don't want to do is have half of your note in regular letters, meaning you start a sentence with an uppercase and the rest is lowercase, mixed in with just uppercase. So for example, I've seen students do the first you know, 90% of the HPI with regular lettering and then the last one or two sentences in all uppercase. I don't understand why you would do this, but it's not good. It's gonna make your note look sloppy and it, when that, that structure is not consistent, as soon as the, the, the person grading your note looks at it, it just doesn't look right and you want your notes to look right. Again, if you do this on a very minor scale, it probably won't make a big difference, but half of your note one way and then half the other uh, doesn't work. It just doesn't work when it comes to your patient note. And I strongly advise you to take a look at your notes and if you're doing this, to stop it right away. It's a very easy thing to fix. Now, number three, the third mistake is using unaccepted abbreviations. This is a one of those topics that we could talk about for a long time, but at the end of the day, Here's how it is. The USMLE gives you a one-page list of the quote-unquote acceptable or accepted abbreviations. Now, it also says this is not a comprehensive list, but since we don't have any other comprehensive list that we can use, the only thing we really have to refer to is that one page. So when it comes to using abbreviations in your HPI, your past medical history, your social, stick with the abbreviations on that list. Now, when it comes to your physical exam, you can shorten things. For example, in the pulmonary, CTABL for clear to auscultation bilaterally, RRR, no MRG. These are all abbreviations that are universally accepted for the physical exam, but that list that the USMLE gives you, that refers to your HPI, your past medical, your social. So stick to that when you're writing that information. And then when it comes to your physical, of course, you can use the commonly known abbreviations. Now, mistake number four, is improperly ordering your differentials. Now, this has been talked about again and again and again, but students still ask me, is it really that big of a deal if I don't put my differentials in the most likely order? And the answer to that is yes, it is a big deal. You need to have your differentials ordered from most to least likely. There is no way around it. It's explicitly written on the USMLE's website. So that number one differential needs to be the strongest supported differential. That number two, the second most strongest. The third, the third most strongest. Keep that in mind and it'll save you a lot of headaches. Mistake number five is weak and or non-specific differential support. So non-specific guys means if you, for example, are wanting to support a migraine, just saying the word headache, that's too vague and non-specific. You wanna say unilateral, you wanna say throbbing or pulsatile, you wanna say very, very severe, maybe, and put nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. That's specific. So avoid vague terms, right? Epigastric pain. Let's say GERD is your differential. You don't just want to say pain. You want to be specific. Epigastric pain that radiates to the chest, right? You want to be specific as possible so that the reader looks at, the, that, at that support and says, that sounds just like GERD or that sounds just like migraine. It needs to be specific. If it's vague, you simply won't get all the credit that you should get. Same thing goes for weak support. Weak support and vague support are sort of synonymous, meaning if it's vague and it's general, 
it's considered weak. You want that support to be specific and strong for each differential. Mistake number six is adding an unsupported third differential diagnosis. This is one of those things that I've had to correct students on for years. A third differential is not necessary if it's not supported. Meaning, if you can strongly support a third differential, perfect. Put it in and make sure it's well supported. But if you put in a third differential and you only have one piece of support, and worse yet, that support's really vague, you're going to get into trouble. You will, get, you will lose more points for putting in that third differential than you would if you just left it blank. So it makes no sense to put it in because what that third poor differential, poorly supported differential tells the reader is that this person isn't confident in their differential diagnosis skills. Ultimately, what that's gonna do, it's going to hurt you, okay? So keep that in mind. Now, number seven is ordering non-essential workups. What does this mean? Well, this means that if you are not ordering workups that will rule in or out each one of your specific differentials, you are not using the workup section properly. Now, the workup section isn't an opportunity to list every single workup under the sun that you can think of. It's an opportunity for you to say, I'm gonna order this test and I'm gonna order this test to help rule in or out my two or three differentials, right? It's not a free-for-all where you list 20 different exams. If you do that, you're simply going to lose a ton of points because just like with the poor support, poor ordering of your differentials. If you're ordering a ton of workups, what it tells the reader is that you don't really know what you need to do to rule something in or out. And as a result, you're not really worthy of passing the step two CS exam. So it's really important that you keep in mind that that's that workups should do two things. Number one, help you rule in. Number two, help you rule out each one of your differentials. So if you have two differentials and let's say there are three workups that you can do to rule them both in or out, just order those three, okay? Now, one little thing I wanna add here is don't think two or three steps ahead. A lot of students will say, okay, well, the first step should be to order blood work, but then if that blood work is negative, I'm gonna order X, and then if that's negative, I'm gonna order Y. If that's negative, I'll order Z, and then you put all of them in there. You don't wanna to start to think that way. The, 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 the goal of the step two, CK and CS is, can I make the appropriate next step to get me towards my diagnosis, right? So this is my differential. What do I need to do to rule it in or out? Hyper or hypothyroidism, I'm gonna order blood work. I'm gonna order, let's say, thyroid function tests, free T3, T4, that's it. Don't go and order everything under the sun. Just order what you need to rule something in or out. And that's really it, guys. That makes up the overwhelming majority of the mistakes that I see students making on their Step 2 CS patient note. So let me just run over those one more time for you. These are the seven mistakes you want to avoid. Poor spelling, grammar, and punctuation. Number two, sloppy and inconsistent structure. Three, using unaccepted abbreviations. Four, improperly ordering your differentials. Five, weak and or nonspecific differential diagnoses support. Six, adding an unsupported third differential. And seven, ordering non-essential workups. You keep all of these in mind and you don't make these mistakes, there's virtually no way that you're not going to absolutely crush your step to CS patient note. So I hope this was really helpful for you guys. If it was, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so that we can let you know whenever we release new episodes. Also, if you find this to be helpful, please leave me a five-star rating and go ahead and leave a review and let me know how I'm doing or what I can do better for you guys on future episodes. I hope this was helpful. Thank you all for taking the time to spend with me today. We'll see you on the next episode.